Welcome to First State Insights, a podcast presented by the University of Delaware's Institute for Public Administration. We call ourselves IPA for short. My name is Troy Mix. I'm Associate Director at the Institute and your host for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is a special Freight Friday edition of First State Insights, brought to you through a partnership of IPA and the Delmarva Freight Working Group which is an ongoing transportation planning and economic development partnership coordinated by IPA, the Delaware Department of Transportation, and Delaware's three metropolitan planning organizations, the Dover-Kent County MPO, the Salisbury-Wacomico MPO, and WMAPCO. On November 20th, 2020, I spoke with Paul Page, who is editor of the Wall Street Journal's Logistics Report, the journal's dedicated site for all things supply chain and logistics that he helped launch in 2015. He came to the Journal from Congressional Quarterly, where he was economic policy editor from 2012 to 2015, and he has had a long career in logistics reporting, including nearly 20 years at the Journal of Commerce. Paul and I spoke about trends in the freight and logistics sector, including the increased economic importance of logistics and supply chain management, the evolving physical and digital infrastructure demands of the sector, and his thoughts on what's in store for the sector over the next few months and years. Let's get to the conversation. So, Paul, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Nice to be here, Troy. Thank you for inviting me. So, I've been a loyal reader of the Wall Street Journal Logistics Report, I guess, since from about the beginning when it started in 2015. I didn't really realize it was only that short time period. And it's been a great help to me kind of educating myself about the market and trends and freight and logistics. And I looked back at the initial launch of it, and you wrote a little piece where you talked about at least two reasons why you had started it. One is that it's, you know, about 10% of GDP at that point is taken up by this type of activities. And then that they're really essential regardless of the industry, supply chain and logistics functions. So I guess, can you talk a little bit about the initial expectations for the logistics report and how that's panned out over the last few years? Well, um, the, the basis of it, as, as you said, was a recognition in a lot of ways of what was going on in business. And in, in many ways, it was, it's meant to pull that together. Um, it's, it's a recognition that there, there have been these big trends. There were these big trends going on, primarily globalization. It was a recognition of that. And what that did is put supply chain concerns really front and center, the business practices and supply chain concerns front and center in the corporate world in ways that I think they hadn't been. This had been going on for a long time. Certainly, you know, for decades, um, and that was recognized in, in the supply chain world. And then I did reporting in the transport and supply chain world before that, uh, before coming to the journal. But it really kind of came to a fore, I think, was really getting much more intense with supply chains being stretched with some of the, the globalization that was going on, but also with some of the problems that arose from that, that these extended supply chains were getting frayed. Uh, companies were having to deal with all of the issues. I mean, we had, uh, you know, port labor issues on the West Coast. That was one, one thing that came up. And these were sort of things where corporate leaders were realizing, wait, we, wait, we have a supply chain. <laughs> What's going on there? And so we hope to pull that together with this and, and also just look at, look at deeper business models that were also built on supply chains. And that was coming on at the same time. You know, you saw businesses that had supply chains in the background, like 
Walmart, for instance. Walmart is essentially some people call a supply chain company, but that's people within the supply chain world. But, but it was always there. And then you saw the main competitor to Walmart become Amazon. And Amazon was really front and center with its supply chain. And so, you know, you're pulling together big historical trends at the same time as you know, near-term trends. And we thought there was an opportunity to pull those together for readers and, and talk about how supply chain issues, inner, inner supply chain issues affect business and corporate decision making. Suppose if, you know, we've been five years now, if there was not interest, you would not still be doing it. Is that the case? Has there been significant interest in terms of subscribers and readers? Yeah, there's been tremendous interest. I mean, there's a lot of interaction. There's a, a lot of readership. And, and one thing I think it's, it's interesting having been in, in the world of, for instance, the Journal of Commerce, where I was before, to see the, the real interest sort of outside the supply chain, the, the core supply chain world. There's an audience with CEOs and CFOs and, and others who are sort of around the supply chain world that really read, read our copy to find out what's going on in these kind of business practices that are, that are really central to a lot of companies. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of curiosity about this space. I know I went on an Amazon fulfillment center tour, for example, uh, which 10 years ago, I wouldn't have thought that would be fun, but I think there's a certain fascination with how these things arrive at your doorstep in a day yeah. or eight hours right? sometimes. Yeah. Well, I, I remember reading, you know, um, Tom Friedman's book, uh, the world is flat. Was that the name of the book? Yeah, it's <laughs> um, behind exactly. me, actually. <laughs> oh, there it is. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, and he had a whole a whole chapter in there on um, a, a lot of supply, very detailed supply chain issues, where he's effectively riding along in a truck, you know, from Canada down down into the U.S. and and he's discussing all these supply chain issues with sort of wide eyed, gate mouse view. And you know, I remember colleagues of mine looking around saying, "Well, wait, wait, we we write about that. We That's do it. that." But it was an example, really, of what that interest is uh, out there in the world. And we all have that interest now. We go out to our, our doorstep now, <laughs> and, and lo and behold, there's a supply chain coming to work. Right. So you have this, you know, the logistics report developed uh, to respond to these issues that have been going on for a while, but globalization, supply chain coming into the fore for a lot of businesses. Uh, what has the content looked like the last five years? What have you been reporting on? A uh, pretty steady mix or certain things have come to the fore? There are so many things. I mean, more recently, tr trade. Trade has come about. You know, trade used to be sort of just uh, the air that we breathe, right? And it wasn't that big a deal. There, were, there was a big move towards free trade, but the general landscape of trade really didn't change all that much. We all sort of knew what was going on. Well, now, in the last three or four years, um, it's it's gotten completely jumbled, and and trade issues, tariffs, currency issues, uh, a lot of these these sorts of things have really come to the floor that are that are primary uh, primary drivers now of decision making and procurement, and 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 it's a very uh, volatile kind of world that we're dealing dealing in, and it didn't used to be that way. There would be trade uh, particular trade issues, flare ups here and there between countries. But at this point, we're seeing the entire kind of fabric of, of global trade that was set up under the World Trade Organization kind of just fray. 
you know, for someone new to the sector, the last couple of years for me, I mean, one thing that struck me is the amount of kind of technology startups that seem to find their way into the reporting. Do you feel that's like kind of a new piece in the sector or just something that didn't get attention in the same way? It's it's gotten a different character. It's certainly grown up a great deal. You know, it used to be technology within the transportation and supply chain world grew kind of organically. It was what what companies themselves did. So a real difference we've seen in the last three, four years, five years perhaps, has been that more companies have been coming from outside the, the limits, the sort of inner world of supply chain, coming in with their own solutions. It used to be you know, that, that a Maersk or someone would simply hire developers and, or they'd buy, buy things off the shelf. And now you have these startups, these, you know, very young, very wit smart people who come in and uh, have a fresh view of everything and say, well, this, this is the way we've done it. <laughs> you, you industry people, well, here's a different way of doing it. And that, that sort of fresh look from people who are outside the industry is, you know, it's gotten some, uh, uh, a little chagrin, I would say, from uh, longtime industry players. At the same time, it's changed the way a lot of companies do business. You know, there's there are all kinds of little buzzwords that come come along, like digitization and these sorts of things. But uh, companies that used to think that they couldn't afford to invest in digital technology are now finding these competitors who are, are coming to their customers saying, "Hey, there's a better way to do this." And so that's been really interesting. You know, people who didn't kind of grow up in the freight background coming with their own fresh look at how technology can change things. So I know one of the things we've focused on in these events I've put on in the Del Marva region is blockchain as an example of trying to understand what role that might play. And I don't want to get into blockchain per se, but one thing I've appreciated is there's so many intermediaries in the freight world in terms of people that have to kind of sign off on things. And there's so many seemingly opportunities to digitize them, but there's also the human side of it, the need to get those people on the same page that we want to digitize those things to make you know, it more efficient uh, because someone loses when it's more efficient. Yeah. I mean, whether it's blockchain or other kinds of technologies, I mean, there's this enormous interest in making sense of all these. And they, in the transportation industry, they call it touches. The more touches you have, right, the more, the more problems that can arise. and as it's also an outgrowth of the uh, the globalization impact, these extended supply chains. I mean, you simply can't have the same company handle every piece of freight and everything that's going on. You know, from uh, you know a a farm in Malaysia off into a uh, a store in Dayton, Ohio. And so you've you've had these uh, you have these technologies that are trying to make sense of that. And for a long time, and it's still true. Systems don't talk to each other. Um, you have freight forwarders who are handling freight, and their interaction with an ocean carrier or an airline is is uh, you know really kind of kind of opaque. So they don't talk, and so you've tried. Everyone's trying to come up with solutions for how these systems can can talk to each other, can make it at least appear seamless. You know, and we've also seen it with because people are used to. With popular technology, consumer technology, you and I know that, gee, we can track our UPS shipment or our Amazon shipment or our, our Postmates delivery or whatever it is, our, our Uber driver. You know, I can pick up the phone and see that the Uber guy is like right around the corner. 
why can't I do that with my shipment? A growing number of, of uh, supply chain managers are asking. So there's a, there's a big move towards visibility is, is one of the buzzwords. And, and that means making sense of all these disparate technologies and disparate sort of siloed, that's another buzzword in the field, siloed uh, systems that are out there. And so, yeah, some so some big picture things in terms of trade. I mentioned the startups and we just talked about the transparency, visibility in the supply chain. You know, clearly now there's at least two big issues. I want to talk about a pandemic later and how that touched supply chains a little bit. But we've got a presidential transition underway, a president elect and a, a sitting president who had seeming policy differences on trade and how to go about financing infrastructure improvements. And we're also in an environment where the economy is uh, struggling a bit and further stimulus spending could be something that's in the cards. So curious from your perspective, what do you think the industry is kind of expecting, hoping for, advocating for in terms of federal response over the next several months or a few years? So as, as I talk to business people, I mean, you know, the, the word that comes up is stability under all of those, those things you, you describe. I mean, what they'd like to see is stability. And, and it's not just because we'd all like a little calmness, <laughs> um, you know, and uh, for our days not to be constant crises. Obviously, that's, that would be a great thing uh, for many of us. But it's also because business plan, it really affects business planning. You're talking with a lot of companies that are investing lots of money in things. When you're talking about trade, for instance, you're talking about decisions on where to place a factory. And, you know, you get into, you know, the various calculations and the equations of business investment there. You know, a, a factory could be, you know, $500 million, $2 billion investment, and you have to set up all the lines of, of transportation, components, raw material, all this stuff. You don't do that on a six-month basis. A CFO wants to know what's what's the return on investment. What year are we going to uh, get some return on this? Making these decisions, sort of on you know at best you know a few weeks timeline uh, with no certainty that everything is going to be the same in a few months down the road is is, is just very difficult for business. So you know, it's a common theme, and it has been a common theme. It's what they want is stability. And, you know, my work focuses on the state and regional scale. So, again, based in Delaware, but we like to look at Delmarva, uh, which is a peninsula. And, you know, can identify with products like poultry and clear freight connections? You got to get it to market. Uh, you got to get it to the store shelves, for example. I'm, I'm hearing a lot about Delaware lately, Troy. A lot about Delaware. Yeah. And we might be involved in the transition somehow. You've seen our riverfront, for example. I have. So... One thing we do in the transportation planning world is a lot of a lot of the federal guidelines address physical needs of the freight and logistics sector. So keeping your roads well repaired, making sure you're managing congestion in the right way, accounting for rail and port investments. And those things seem like, I mean, trucks run on roads, uh, so they seem very logical. But at the same time, we're uh, leaning into kind of more digital responses to planning or trying to things like where is parking in the region for trucks and how are we coordinating with other states to, you know, make sure we're providing uh, an API that offers that parking information to app providers, for example, that are in the cabs of, of truckers. 
or dealing with last mile issues that are very different than the I-95 issues uh, in many cases. So I, I guess I'm curious, kind of what are the what do you see from the the moving freight uh, sector, the part of that part of the sector? There are still real physical needs, I imagine, but are the, those digital information needs growing in importance? Um, they are. And we're seeing actually, it's interesting, we're seeing a lot of uh, government organizations, and by the, whether it's a state government, uh, uh, the development office within a state government, municipalities, port authorities, uh, airport authorities, get more involved in providing the kind of digital infrastructure that can connect different players and supply chains. I mean, we see this in the U.S. I think the port of ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach are, are trying to interact more and do that for people there. It's happening in Europe, uh, Antwerp, I know, and Rotterdam, both. Uh, we see real robust kind of technology efforts going on where cities, municipalities, uh, states see themselves as the vortex and, and look at how they can connect the different parts of the supply chain. You know, you, you, there are a lot of cliches, a lot of buzzwords like public-private partnership and that sort of thing that come up um, that looks different ways to different people, but sort of creating the infrastructure and it may be highways, but it also, as you say, may be, uh, may be a digital infrastructure to make that happen and happen. I've, I've been very impressed, for instance, in Delaware, um, with the, the, uh, the tolling infrastructure. And, and I know that that's not unique to Delaware. That goes on everywhere, but it really helps to have that kind of infrastructure. And there's a lot that goes behind it, measuring, uh, measuring traffic, uh, affecting traffic. I mean, Actually, one of the fun stories I wrote a few years ago was about what I called in the story Robot Road and having technology within the roads that can interact with the, uh, the smart technology that is increasingly becoming part of vehicles, trucks and cars is, is a really interesting thing to do. You can sort of, when you talk about congestion, you can start to meter the, uh, the business and the flow of traffic. You can help people. Uh, with alternate alternative routes, with uh, uh, simply adjusting speed limits to keep flows going. I mean, these these sorts of things are really exciting. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I think uh, our transportation agency is very proud of, r- rightly so, I think, is we are a small state, and the advantages on the connected vehicle, connected infrastructure front is you can make a lot of those investments across the whole state in right. urban and r- suburban and rural areas in you know traffic management that are you know increasingly sensors that you know speak to the command center and tell you where the congestion is and address you know traffic lights and things like that but we the hope is that's an advantage as uh vehicles become more connected and probably feeds into the supply chain in some way that there's testing bed hope <laughs> oh very very much so. you know there's a lot of work being done with trucking and people talk about uh, you know the sort of I don't want to call it pie in the sky I'm not going to poo-poo the technology but you know when you talk about automated uh, self-driving vehicles okay that's there's a lot of research going there and that may or may not happen but in the near term there's a lot of technology on the way to get there um, that deal with connecting roads to trucks and if you can somehow, you know, change address traffic patterns near distribution centers and near ports to kind of keep keep things moving. That's tremendous. That's that's a that's a big gain, a big win. And 
you know, we're all dealing with the pandemic still. And, um, you know, I think we all reacted a little differently, but one of the shared things might've been, you know, leaning into e-commerce even more than we had been leaning into it before for a lot of people or saying not just my occasional or really frequent Amazon deliveries, but my meals, my, my groceries, all of those things. And I think, you know, it dominated my thought process. I don't know if it dominated the things you were reporting on, but I, I guess I'm interested in where you kind of saw the supply chain really shine. Like, oh, those things that are happening, those are like the future of what we're going to see more and more. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, there, there's a lot that goes on behind you know, that box landing on your doorstep. And, and it's, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, I, I'm overusing the word upheaval lately, but there's a lot behind the scenes and that, in, that involves switching up supply chains. I mean, it, it, we've done a lot on different commodities that that's affected. I mean, it may be, you know, your pork chops, it may be, um, you know, various consumer goods, but simply getting something that's ready for e-commerce to delivery to a home is a lot different from moving palletized goods, you know, 2000 pounds of, of uh, detergent, say to a store. That's a, those are very different kinds of supply chains and getting things switched up like that from basically it's the difference between an industrial, what I call an industrial and a consumer supply chain. And those things, they, they, they cross a little bit here and there, but not that much. You know, the, the, the food supply chain that serves restaurants, for instance, is, is runs in a different way than the, the, the grocery store supply chain. So you've had to see, you've seen these from meat packing companies to um, shampoo makers. Uh, everyone's had to, had to switch gears very quickly. It's hard not to personalize these things, but I think this is the first time a restaurant supply truck was on my street delivering <laughs> too much milk and other products to me, but it was a way to get it without going to the store. Uh, and then you would go to the grocery store and you would see differently packaged things in the freezer right. that were suddenly arriving because restaurants couldn't accommodate them. And then you, I would be talking to food industry folks in Delaware and suddenly they have kiosks where people are going up and buying closer to where the product's packaged, right. uh, for example. So it did seem like even just in Delaware, in the Delmarva region, people developing e-commerce businesses seemingly overnight. <laughs> well, and we've seen farms adjust. I mean, you know, you talk about personal. I mean, we, you know, this is something that we've seen quite clearly is farmers going to farmers markets, for instance, and packaging up, you know, boxes of goods and coming up. And frankly, a lot of, a lot of the smaller farmers have, have kind of filled in a gap. That's been, there have been ups and downs to this um, for supply chains. Um, and a lot of people are hurting. I, I don't want to sure. you know, diminish that in any way, but there have also been a lot of people like farmers, uh, filling in gaps and coming in and, and providing local goods where sort of national systems have frayed, broken down, been delayed. And, and that's been interesting to see. You know, we've seen farmers in different parts of the region coming together in sort of cooperative efforts. And there are obviously there are regional technology solutions to help those people do those things. So one of the pieces we hear about vaccines that might be on the horizon is the logistics challenges. 
Can you just give us a sense of why it's such a challenge? I mean, I know it's a big number of people you have to vaccinate, but beyond that, what are some of the big challenges? So I, I, it, it is a challenge. There's no doubt. But, you know, a colleague of mine had made up a phrase that I, I kind of enjoyed called vaccine miserable lists. And it, it's a challenge to be sure. Absolutely. It also requires everyone within the supply chain doing the, the things that they are professionally capable of doing and that they do all the time. And so I'm actually um, not a vaccine miserableist. I know it's a challenge. Um, it's a challenge for me to write a newsletter every day, but I'm equipped to do that. Some would argue less some days than others, I grant you. But, uh, you know, th this will come together. You know, the groundwork has been set. We were writing back in July, first of all, about how the pharma companies themselves were already setting up their supply chains, allotting the factory space, uh, getting raw materials in place. You know, the news today, uh, as you and I are speaking, is that Pfizer is, is going today to formally ask for authorization from the government for its, its, its uh, COVID vaccine. Well, you know, I know that Pfizer and, and Moderna have been shipping their COVID vaccine. They're not waiting for that authorization. You know, hopefully if the government, whatever day it is, issues its authorization, say at 11 in the morning, by 12.15 p.m., this stuff is going to be moving out to the public, to the places where it needs to be. So on, on that side of it, that's already happening. This isn't this isn't something that's far off in the future that no one's going to decide that day. Well, how are we going to do this? And, and, I, and I just I have a lot of confidence. I hope it's not misplaced, but freezer capacity, air capacity, all that's being set up. And they need authorization to administer it, but they don't need authorization to get the gears moving, so to speak. Right. Now, look, there are going to be issues at state level. States, states are not entirely ready is what we're hearing that um, states, they haven't set up plans for, you know, priorities uh, um, for how they're going to do it. Um, some of that involves funding for these kind of plans, but Pfizer and Moderna and whoever else comes in uh, along the way, and there are other vaccines, they, they have factory space. Um, their logistics providers have capacity to handle it. They've been setting that up. You know, we know of several logistics companies uh, and airlines that have set up what they call freezer farms. You know, this is, this is going on. Also, it's important to keep in mind, I don't want to go on rant too much. This is something we've been covering pretty closely. It's going to take place over time. There are going to be billions of doses that are going to go out there. Those doses aren't going to go out between Tuesday and Thursday in one week. This is going to be a multi-month uh, multi-year effort, really. And that's something that the uh, drug companies have been stressing that uh, it sounds like a big number, but this is, you know, we're still in this for the long haul. Yeah. I appreciate that message. It's good. It's a good reminder that not everyone is reading the wall street journal logistics report. I, I, I hadn't really <laughs> wait a minute, Troy. <laughs> that people don't have that nuanced understanding of people do this professionally. <laughs> How can that be? <laughs> So let's let's talk about what you might cover in the next five years, I guess. What do you see? Um, you, you said a lot of upheaval. Uh, what do you see being prominent ongoing stories that you're covering over the next few years? 
you know, tech, technology is going to be a big one. You know, there's the old journalistic phrase about follow the money. You know, the, the, a lot of money is going to technology right now. And technology is going to be a very big story. I mean, we get, we may be distracted by shiny objects, like I said about, you know, self-driving trucks. Um, I saw some self-driving trucks in a, uh, in a movie and they, they didn't look very fun. I think they were running people over, but, um, <laughs> You know, there's going to be a lot of technology like these talking uh, communication between cars and, tr- and trucks and roads and um, a lot of that sort of thing. Uh, and, and I think that's going to be a big focus. Robotics, robotics and, and, and handling things uh, is an enormous story. We're going to see a lot more of that. They're coming up with ways for robots to do lots of things, you know, the manual things within supply chains. That's a big focus of, of ours lately, and I expect that to grow. Well, uh, you know, I'll make the plug that people should subscribe to the logistics report. It's really been a great pleasure for me to, um, you know, learn about the industry and learn about the many facets of it. So, and it was a real pleasure to talk to you today uh, to, to get kind of some of the behind the scenes thoughts on uh, what the space looks like today. So thanks so much for joining me today, Paul. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you, Troy. Sure thing. For more information on the Wall Street Journal's logistics report, visit wsj.com or consult the show notes for a direct link to the journal's logistics reporting. To learn more about the Delmarva Freight Working Group, visit wilmapco.org slash delmarva. And be sure to visit ipa.udel.edu for information on the University of Delaware's Institute for Public Administration. Thanks again for tuning in to First State Insights. Reach out with any comments and be sure to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. I hope you'll join us again soon.